0: Future Self Podcast, episode 34.
1: To give is truly the most selfish thing you can do because by giving, you know it's coming back to you. So now I really try to focus on what I can do for others and what I can create that benefits everybody without thinking of myself first.
0: This is the Future Self Podcast. Here's your host, Robert Ingalls. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 34 of the Future Self Podcast, your resource for knowledge, insight, and inspiration to make your future self your biggest fan. You know, I should totally start a podcast. If you have ever said those words, then you are in the right place. I am teaming up with Advent Coworking to bring you Advent Podcast University, Charlotte's first comprehensive podcasting course designed to take you from your idea that you have right now to being on iTunes in four short weeks. Now, whether you're a hobbyist or you're ready to create a business and a brand around your podcast, this course provides you with the tools to bring your unique vision to life. Even if you're still trying to nail down that perfect podcast idea, we have you covered there too. So if you're ready to take your idea and get it on iTunes, go to yourpod.pro to sign up for details, yourpod.pro. All right, let's jump into today's show. This week I had Matt Holler in the studio. Matt is the co-founder of Farmer's First Coffee, a socially conscious coffee startup that's putting the focus back on the farmers that are actually growing the coffee. Every bag of Farmers First Coffee comes with the name and the image of the farmer who produced the coffee inside, and the bag that Matt graciously brought for me was grown by Rosa, a Peruvian widow that has been producing coffee for 30 years. Matt brewed me a delightful cup of Rosa's coffee right in the studio before we recorded, so I will apologize in advance if you hear us slurping just a little bit. Now Matt is the quintessential future self podcast guest. Like many of us, he wasn't sure what his purpose was, but instead of sitting around and waiting for inspiration to strike, he went out into the world and forged his purpose. All right, let's jump into it. I don't know how much you know about like tech Nothing. stuff. Yeah, no. most people don't. Yeah, Why would I you? Just say yes. And I didn't either until the last couple of years. Um, like when I learned about podcasting, I was not what I would refer to as a creative person. Mm-hmm. A story I had told myself my entire life was I'm not good at art. I'm not good at music. It's
1: so funny you say that because I have now come to that realization in my own sense that, you know, I've not, I'm not a creative either. I've no, I mean, I like sports. I guess that can be creative in some sense, playing basketball or something like that. But Oh man, you don't want to see me draw or do any of those things. Music, oh, pff, I, I I think I can dance, but it's actually terrible. But you know, now that we have this whole storytelling thing, it's you know, look what we've now created, and right. it's, it's something special. And it's I gotta I gotta own that now, you know. Yeah. So I'm I'm in that same boat. It's like never saw it that way before.
0: Right, and that's and I think that that's it's tragic that so many of us spent so many years telling ourselves a story about ourselves that limited us, mm-hmm. that held us back. Like I told my I didn't dance, I never danced. Mm-hmm. And I I dated a girl for years that really really liked to dance and and I wouldn't dance with her mm-hmm. and I I, would, I just said I don't like to dance I don't dance I don't like to dance mm-hmm. and that was the farthest thing from the truth I love to dance oh, yeah. I stopped dancing because people made fun of me when I danced and and then I just kind of internalized that and I thought I wasn't going to do it anymore and and that's tragic mm-hmm. and then I would try to do other things and you know I try to sing and people were like oh you can't sing and then I I don't sing now. And then a few years ago, I really kind of had an awakening, and and I decided, you know what, fuck all that. Like I get to be who I want to be, and, and not that I couldn't have always done that, but I just had a limiting belief in my head that I allowed myself to, mm-hmm. you know, to, to internalize and keep telling myself. And you know, one of those was I'm not good at music either, and I was like, I'm gonna be good at music, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, so I got a, picked up the guitar taught myself how to play, took some lessons and I'm not going to be tearing up the stage with Skinner anytime soon, Certainly, but I can play yeah, like yeah. I can sit down and I can pick around. I can, you know, play rhythm. And I, w- I thought that would have never happened in my life. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's so important for people. And that's one of the things I talk to my listeners about all the time. It's so important to not limit yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't tell yourself those same stories that you've been hearing other people tell you, because the, the best and the best way to do that is to just start using the word yet. I mm-hmm. can't dance yet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Because
0: there is anything, there's literally anything in the world you can do almost if you are willing to put in that time commitment to do it. And if you like dancing, dance. One of the things I did, uh, when I was single is I wanted to dance. So I bought a mirror. (laughs) I bought a full length mirror. (laughs) That's awesome. I put it in my room (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then at night I would watch videos of Usher, Justin Timberlake. And, and I would try to get an idea for how they were moving. And, and it was so helpful because Learning to dance, learning to be in a position where you can just kind of hold and bounce and not, you know, be a flailing kid out on the dance floor is not as hard as you think it would be. Mm -hmm. You just kind of watch those basic movements, the hips. It's all in the hips. You know, I think I was a shoulder dancer when I was, when I was younger. And that's kind of like yeah. flailing about Keep it all in here. Right?
1: <laughs> Keep it tight up top. Well, it's kind of funny. It's the fear thing, you know, and especially whether it be dancing for me, it's been language. You know, I showed up to Honduras in 2013 and I was basically, I showed up the first day calling chicken polo, which if you know anything about right. Spanish, which I obviously clearly polo, didn't, po-yo. I didn't know a word and you know, it was just so fascinating and interesting that You know, I kind of had this good group of 10 different teachers, and I never really had to be forced too far outside of my comfort zone there. And I unfortunately didn't do as good as I should have in studying or putting myself in those situations. Well, go start a business in another country. It's one thing to teach English, but, you know, this year was just a lot of scary moments and a lot of fear. I mean, try going on a date with a girl that... You know she speaks some English, but you know she's not fluent, and uh, you know that that was scary. Man, that sounds you know? like fun. But now that I've done it, all the you know all the other situations are are a little less scary now, and you know you you start to just own it and realize that if you're afraid of something, you should probably run towards it, not away from it. You Dude,
0: know? that is such a good quote, and and it's it speaks to the fact that people who do. Big things started doing something that scared them mm-hmm. and and it's a learning process mm-hmm. you say well i don't I've never done that I'm not the kind of person that does that and you, but no one really is I mean there might be a few people who were just kind of born with that natural charisma yeah and, and we look i feel like too often we measure ourselves against those people mm-hmm. and and we don't realize that almost everyone else just started doing it they were scared they were terrified, and they did it. And then they got a little better at it and Mm -hmm. then they they did it again and they got a little better at it. And then five, 10 years later in their life an opportunity came up that if they had not had all of those weird moments and failures and, and fear, they wouldn't be ready for this opportunity. Mm -hmm. So there's a quote from a book. I really liked resilience, uh, it was actually written by the now governor of Missouri. He was not the governor at the time. He's an ex-Navy SEAL. But it says, your, your purpose will not be found. It will be forged. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that is perfect. Mm-hmm. Because we have this idea that we're going around in life just waiting, waiting to see the thing that's going to be like, aha. Mm-hmm. And what he is getting at there is, you know, you have to get up and go look for it and try new things and make things. And then one day you'll probably just go, aha. I am in the middle of my purpose now. Mm-hmm. And that only exists because of all the things that you did around it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that that spoke a lot to me.
1: Well, I like that too. And it kind of even just goes in regards to, you know, there's a saying I like that's, you know, you talk about a job or, you know, living to work type thing, but find a vocation. Find something that, you know, tr- we, it doesn't have to be fun all the time, but as long as you're inspired and you believe in it, you know, it's not about a job anymore. This is my life. You it's know? who I am. This is this is what I do, you know? Yeah. And that comes in the whole question of divine, defining yourself in, in how do you define yourself? And typically, it's like, oh, I work at the bank or I'm a nurse, you know? It's like, you're so much more than that, you know? So, you know, well, what do you do and why do you do it? Not not what do you do, but why, right? Right, you know?
0: Yeah, it's like Simon next book. Have you read that? Love it.
1: Love it. So we actually, good. my business partner made me start with it before we started this whole venture, which I had read it a couple of years previously, but before we got into it, that was one of the first things we did. made you start with why. Yep, and that's exactly what we've done, and I think why we've had uh, early success. I certainly don't want to say we're successful to this point, but uh,
0: we're on our I way, think by hopefully. the metrics that you're measuring yourself, you're successful, and that's what's important. Success isn't where society tells you you're successful. Success is hitting the goals that you set for yourself. Mm-hmm.
1: Certainly, certainly, so. and it's been... It's been one of those years where it's, it's almost, you don't even have the time to write the the goal down on paper and you're into the next task, but it's been awesome. I mean, I, I, I can look back on so many things this year that I've just, yeah, I did this and I did that and. You know, it's really been great. It's been an awesome year.
0: Nice. Well, I uh, I'll sit here all day and just chit chat about uh, the universe and all these things. It's my favorite thing to talk about. Perfect. But uh, let's dive into uh, Farmers First Coffee. <laughs> you uh, you reached out to me a few weeks ago and told me a little about your company, and I was just immediately, just in the first couple sentences, immediately uh, just grabbed mm-hmm. and interested uh, to learn more. Because, you know, it was obvious that it's a, you know, you have a socially conscious brand around this entrepreneurship. You are interested in not only creating a good product, but you're interested in the supply line being socially conscious. Mm -hmm. And also my first thought was, man, they're taking on a big industry there. Like coffee is an industry that seems pretty ruthless. I don't know Mm a lot about it, but from what I do know, uh, it seems like a pretty ruthless industry and you're taking it on and in a way that is going to benefit the farmers, mm-hmm. you know, our farmers first. Mm-hmm. But also, it's, it's going to be a good product that people are going to be able to, you know, to afford yep. as well. Yep, exactly. So, where did the idea from this come from? Like, where were you? How did this formation begin? Certainly. So, my passion, I like to say, really isn't about coffee. I love
1: coffee. Um, I can... I'm certainly educated on it, but, you know, where my passion really uh, began was actually learning the story about the people behind coffee and this disconnect that I saw. So it was uh, 2013. I just finished uh, my undergraduate studies uh, back home in Ohio, and I had the opportunity to take an adventure, Uh, and that was teaching English in Honduras for a year. And, you know, I I had that typical path beforehand. I was going to go to physical therapy school, and I was going to go do all these things that, you know we, we look at success in a box ass. I was on that path. And then one trip there, uh, kind of turned my world on my head. And it was really that first trip, even before I moved there, that, um, it was kind of a mission-based trip where we were spending time in this middle of nowhere mountain range in Honduras. And it wasn't even a coffee community. Uh, but you know, we were just working together and doing some projects. And I was so blown away by these people that had absolutely nothing and they were willing to give, Everything they had, their food, their time. I mean, I was sleeping on the nine-year-old's bed, you know, and, and it was hard. It was challenging. There was no electricity, dirt floors. I'll never forget the moment, you know, they're, they're, they're telling us, you know, be, you know, be very polite, eat all the food they give you. But man, when that sour cream hit the plate and curdled, I tried my best, but I eventually just had to say, I can't do dairy anymore. But, um, you know, that trip really inspired me to go ahead and, and pursue, you know, this adventure of teaching in Honduras for a year. So it was actually Christmas time. I came home, uh, had one of my very close friends wedding and, you know, went went to grandma's, did the whole Christmas thing. And we got there very early and And she pulled me, she pulled me in one of the back rooms and, you know, basically told me, here's a thousand dollars. I really want you to go do something with this, create something good. Um, you know, for my life, God has always provided and given us more than, you know, I swear, had been under this statue where I, where I hid the money sometimes. So go do something with it. So what ended up happening, uh, I held on to it for a while until I eventually was introduced to a woman by the name of Sister Maria. And she was a woman who runs a more or less a nutrition center uh, called Casa de Angeles, or the House of Angels. And she feeds 115 kids school meals each day. So I ended up giving her that $1,000, which gave them meat once a week for four months. And it just really, really stuck with me like, wow, a lack of meat? We know we don't have that problem here in you know, our side of things. No, we do not. And you know, we, we did a bathroom project. That's school of 300 kids didn't have a bathroom. And you know, once again, it's just this, this giving that I continually saw amongst these people that had nothing that just really inspired me and connected. And I started to ask myself, well, why are these people so poor? And well, most of them are employed in coffee. Well, I never really liked coffee before, and I started drinking it there, which was amazing. I saw a totally different drink than what you get at the gas station. <laughs> and this idea just kind of started to blossom, and um, I really started to learn more. I bought like 10 books a couple years ago, and you know, what do you do with it? Do you start a coffee shop? But no, no matter what, I always found myself telling people this story of coffee farmers and how amazing it is.
0: It was just something that resonated with you, something you saw. I, like, I
1: can't even so cool. really tell you why I, I, I got so deep into it, but uh, you know, I just really, you know, it was just that example that really showed me of this is the way life should be. And it was one comment on my way back was, Oh, I feel so bad for those people. And it's like, no, not at all. You know, I feel bad for us sometimes being so caught up in our own wants and needs and, you know, never taking a second to look at what your neighbor needs and, you know, those sorts of things that, you know, it it, it is a, a sad story sometimes, but really it's a beautiful story of both struggles and triumphs of, you know, family, you know, the same things that we share on a day-to-day basis, but... You know, so that's where it all began. And, you know, I went on uh, to do a few other things over the years. I think that's when my entrepreneurial spirit began. I actually uh, moved home and I didn't want to go do a normal job. So I started Holsky's Odd Jobs, where I would go and convince people to let me paint their exterior buildings and pay me money for it. And it was mildly successful and, uh, you know, did a couple other things and actually got into uh, personal training down in Florida from there. And, um, you know, that's a whole nother story. But uh, had some health issues of my own that uh, led me to questioning a number of things, uh, which led me back to graduate school, uh, pursued a master's of public health, uh, specifically in health promotion and education uh, with a focus on nutrition. And it was about September of you know, what, 16 months ago that, you know, it just, it started popping up in my head again. Okay. You're, you're about finished with school. What do you do now? What about that thing you always dreamed about? You know, what if, what if you can make that real? So I'll never forget it to this day. I called my business partner up, Robert Durant, uh, who I met in Honduras actually. And I said, Hey man, you know, he, he knew, he knew about this, uh, this, you know, dream of mine and, I said, I, I think I really want to do something. And he, he said right away, he said, Matt, let's go for it. And you know what? We really haven't looked back since. So,
0: so when, you were, when you met him in Honduras, mm-hmm. he, you had chatted about this idea that you had.
1: Not even terribly. We became good friends over the year. Um, he had a business, a local business nearby the school I taught, uh, so we hung out a lot. What got was to he know doing? each other. He owns an eco lodge slash brewery called the D and D Brewery. It's an amazing, incredible place. It's absolutely gorgeous. And uh, he actually went from a profit to purchasing a brewery in one of the more unstable countries in Central America, and he has just turned it into something really, really special that um, not only is it an awesome place for you to go experience as a tourist, but you know, something the locals are proud of and really you know, has made it a really neat place to check out. And it's good beer, too.
0: Very cool. And so you call him and you're having this idea and you say, Hey, I have this idea. And was the idea formed at that point? Was no, it-
1: not even close. We had no idea.
0: I was like, what, okay, so you, cool. What so, do we do? So what was the basic idea? Like we're going to sell coffee or?
1: Yeah, let's just start a coffee company. Right. Um, I don't think we had one. We, we basically started a a list on, on a uh, wonder list. I think it was, and basically said, okay, let's start putting something down on paper. And we did so we had no idea. Um, how to really do anything. And he, you know, he said, well, I'm down in Peru right now. I'm studying in grad school. Um, we did a little bit more research. You know, we always knew we wanted to get back to Honduras, but they have opposite growing seasons. It's a much more friendlier country to do business in than her Honduras can be. And, oh yeah, they're also the leader in fair trade and organic coffee in the world. So what a great, great case study. Let's start here, move down here, sell your car, do all that stuff. And, uh, and we'll get going. So I remember it was January 16th of last year. So we just passed a year full time at this. And I remember showing up in Lima, Peru, with just nothing but a notebook and sitting in a Starbucks and just being like, Okay, I have took the leap. What do we do now? You know? Where do you start from scratch? And uh I think a lot of perseverance in in uh in the hard work has, has allowed us to get a little bit further than maybe we could have even imagined.
0: So sure. And I want the listener, uh, specifically a few of you have reached out to me, so I know you're in this specific position right this moment to hear it. You're toiling away at something. You don't like what you're doing. You're not happy. You don't see that path forward. You feel like you're treading water, and you don't know what you want to do. And, and and from what I'm hearing, Matt, is you were in that position. You mm-hmm. were doing something. You're toiling. You're not sure where you're going, but you kept at it. You stayed at it. And that's the important thing I want the listener to understand is it's not, success isn't this perfectly golden paved road. It is zigs and zags and uncertainty and fear. And then when that moment strikes, if you have been constantly moving toward it, you're going to be ready to grab it.
1: Yeah, certainly. And I, I have always liked the advice, well, you you get kind of this paralysis of analysis. I don't know what to do. And you almost get fear of committing to the wrong thing. Well. If you don't know what to do, you're obviously not doing it. go figure it out. do something if do it doesn't anything. work you can you can go another route. i've done that before, that's for sure you know I've been two years into something, and you know what? You just pull the brakes and say this isn't working, but if you're not doing something, whether it be on a volunteer basis or work related whatever it might be, you got to do something right and you got to start somewhere. and the thing is
0: after you pulled the brakes after two years, you walk you didn't walk away with nothing Oh, yeah. you walked away with two years of experience certainly that probably without that two years of experience, you might not be sitting here. Mm-hmm. Like you might be in a very different place because you didn't do anything. You stayed stagnant. Yeah. So I think it's really important to, to move in that situation. So when you talk to your buddy, you move down there, you decide you're going to start a coffee company, obviously you know, you're you socially conscious now. Was that the vision from the beginning?
1: Certainly, because uh, uh, my inspiration coming into this was all about this story and you know this reality that kids don't have food. Um, you know, that's that's where my inspiration lies. And that was the entire plan of, okay, we're going to start a coffee company. The one thing we did know was it's going to be based around creating a, a fair and equitable coffee company that actually does what it says it does and not just taking advantage of buzzwords for marketing purposes, of really being true to that impact we can create and you know, there's going to be a lot of learning lessons along the way, but, you know, so far we're 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 excited with what we've created and what that model is. That's re- something we really feel unique and uh, a little bit different
0: than most. Now, when you started this model, this socially conscious entrepreneurship model, was there ever a thought of going the nonprofit route?
1: No. Um, and a lot of that was out of the, you know, kind of experiences my business partner saw starting at a nonprofit in Honduras. He spends tens of thousands of dollars on a new water tank for clean water, and it didn't provide a job for someone. And five years later, the the nonprofit left, and that tank's broken, and it's not helping anybody.
0: Yeah, and and I asked that more. I wanted to address that issue a little bit and see what your thoughts Mm -hmm. were on it. And uh, I follow... An entrepreneur, Layla Jana, mm-hmm. and she has been very active in uh, socially conscious entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And she talks about the nonprofit model and why she gets away from it. She feels that she can do a far more good in the world uh, without the constraints.
1: Certainly, and, and
0: then, well, I, go ahead.
1: Well, that's where there's obviously a number of very great, great um, nonprofits. But you know, really, in in reality, is. The things you face is dependency, um, handouts. Right? How do we empower and lift people to to be able to increase their you know life, their lives essentially? And you know, when a you're, lot of models work, but many many
0: don't. But that the entire business model is is holding your hand out, hoping that someone will come along at the right time and keep you moving. Exactly. Where. You know, I, I talk about this too I think that there's in our culture we have a negative mindset with money mm-hmm. we get we have a lot of people that will look at successful people in, in, in a negative light mm-hmm. like oh they're just all about the money and and I don't think most people really are all about the money I think that a lot of people solved a lot of problems for other people and made money doing it mm-hmm. because that's usually where money is you know people like to think of these you know rich corporate greedy overlords who are yep. just, ha 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 uh, but a lot of especially our generation The people who have made it, they made it because they solved a problem that they identified in society, and they were able to make money doing it. And our generation – and not to say the last generation isn't, but our generation resonates with me because I'm in it. Mm -hmm. And there's so much socially conscious uh, viewpoint going on. So many people are taking that active role in the community and giving back and creating jobs that uh, I'm a big fan as well. And we need to change the way we're viewing it. If people are out there and they're being successful and they're helping the world – looking down your nose at them and being like, oh, well, you're not a nonprofit. Like, why would I ever work this hard to not be like to to stay in this position? I want the more money I make, the more positive impact I can make on the world. Certainly. So, yeah, that was that was one of the, you know, kind of my questions. So I was looking through your backstory. You are getting into this and then you launched a Kickstarter and it turned out to be quite successful.
1: Yeah, it was. uh, I tell you what, talk about a learning experience. Kickstarter was awesome and challenging and frustrating, you know, everything in between. It was, it was a really wild ride. And, uh, um, we launched it, um, July 20th and we ran it for a month through August 20th, but really it started in mid May and it was, you know, pretty much mid May, June and half of July full time before we even,
0: you know, pressed the button to launch. So a lot of entrepreneurs are turning to that route. Mm-hmm. It's, it's becoming very popular, but in its you know, as it's getting more popular, it's getting noisy. Yeah. And when it gets noisy, it's hard to get attention. Yeah. What strategies did you use to set yourself apart to make people notice and step in and and really pledge money? Well, I think
1: the best thing we did was uh, treated it like a fundraising campaign. Um, The biggest thing you need to learn, I think, in entrepreneurship that I'm figuring out very quickly is just ask. Um, so we made these extensive lists of basically everyone we know and called them up. Hey, I'm in Peru. I'm launching this thing. I need your help. Um, you know, so don't be afraid you really need to put yourself out there. And we really had this idea, okay, this isn't about us. Um, you know, we, we want to create a company, but kind of put ourselves, you know, behind the shadows. Well, that's wrong too. Um, you know, you, you're, you're, this is you, this is a part of it. And don't be afraid to share your story that coincides with this in the same sense. And we learned that that You know, people want to hear that just as much as what you're doing, Um, you know, so that those are probably the two biggest pieces of advice. But also in, you know, specific to Kickstarter was you really need to create something that motivates people to pitch in at different levels. Um, You know, so we really did a lot of case studies of what other people did to be successful. And, you know, we had, you know, a bag of coffee ranging from $20 all the way up to, um, you know, I think we did a couple business packages and even sold trips down to Honduras for a thousand dollars. So we, we, we had ranges, we sold a bunch of coffee subscriptions, uh, got over 120 people getting coffee from us for a year before we had anything. <laughs> Talk about a gamble and, you know, a lot of, you know, thankfulness we have for people to believe in us and, and, you know, to really put, uh, put their money behind something that they could get behind and get and believe in whether it was the idea or whether it was us as entrepreneurs. And, uh, you know, really just being focused on getting it out there as much as possible. Um, the media attention was something I worked very, very hard on and so many unanswered emails, but, you know, just keep pushing and keep being persistent and, um, you know, Put the work in.
0: Yeah, is the I biggest thing because
1: you, you think you'll turn the button and things will just happen, and it doesn't work like that, right? It, it, not at all.
0: I do podcast consulting, and I, I work with people launching their podcast. And everyone, I mean, no matter who you are, you you have this idea that you're going to launch that first episode, and the people are going to come, mm-hmm. and then you launch the tenth one and the fifteenth one, mm-hmm. and it's crickets, mm-hmm. and you get you start to get disillusioned. Yeah, and you're like, why am I doing this? Am I speaking to the vacuum? And and I tell them exactly what you said. Just keep at it. at it. Do the work because you find out, and I found out. People have been listening from the beginning. Mm-hmm. They're just now starting to make some noise. People listen in a you know in their own cars, in their own homes, and they're not interacting on social media, but they're there. Certainly, and 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 it's important to stay at it. And to your point on the Kickstarter of, of telling that story. I think that's such an important thing that so many brands get wrong Mm -hmm. is they fail to tell their story. They stay in the shadows Mm -hmm. and you see it on social media all the time. And certain industries are maybe worse than others. I was in the legal industry and I think that they're supremely guilty of of not telling a good story. You know, a, a lot of the ads you see in your newsfeed are, if you've been injured in an accident, call us, or if you're going through this, call us. And if I'm not going through that at that moment, Uh, and then I, am going through it next month. If they've battered me over the head enough, I might remember it, but there's nothing compelling to make me remember it. And it's that story that draws people in, even if they don't necessarily need what you're selling in that moment, because that's how our brains work. Our brains are wired to, to grab onto that story. Hmm. And that's what I tell new podcasters, no matter what your show is about, I don't care if it's about coffee. Yep. You need to tell the story around that coffee mm-hmm. because that is what's going to make people interested. You need to tell the story around your life in that coffee Certainly. because that's what's going to help people get to know you. And as they get to know you, they're going to like you. They're going to trust you. So if you are ready to monetize the podcast or the brand or whatever it is, they're going to be properly lubricated for that sale, yeah. if you will. Uh, I read a book by Peter Diamandis called Bold. And if you haven't read it, it's great. I mean, it, it really is a great, great book. But he spends a large portion of that book talking about Kickstarter and mm-hmm. crowdfunding mm-hmm. and the different ways to do it. So if anybody listening is is considering getting into the crowdfunding uh, angle, obviously check out Farmer's First Coffee because they have successfully harnessed that model. But check out Peter Diamandis's book Bold as well. Uh, I will l- link that in the blog and on the show notes As well. So
1: a couple interesting things are just exactly what you're saying. You
0: know, we worked really hard. We
1: actually were able to do almost 53,000, which put us in the top one percent of all drink project categories. But you know, we could have found fifty thousand dollars from an investor or somebody. But what it more importantly did was gave us that platform to tell a story, and it gave us over six hundred people that were going to get our coffee. It gave us a true, real customer base that. Nothing like that was possible before. So it really has changed the way you can catapult right into something. And it it was, you know, it has its challenges, but it it was an amazing experience for sure. And I'm super happy. And um, if I ever do one again, it's going to be at at least another five years. I'm I'm still recharging from that.
0: A lot of work, huh?
1: Well, the, the fulfillment side of things, you know you know, that was just, you you don't think of every single card you got to put in and, you know, taping. I think we sent out a thousand bags of coffee before, before we sent out one in a way, you know what I mean? It was, it was really
0: wild. It was, it was crazy hours upon hours. So what was, I kind of want to loop back around, I guess, when you decided you're going to start this coffee company, you decided how you were going to start it. Was there a moment in time that the fear struck when you said, what are we doing? We're taking on one of you know, these, the largest industries, like maybe, you know, I don't want to call them a cartel, yeah. but it is an industry that is well-established mm-hmm. and, and it works like a pretty well-oiled machine. Yeah, What was their fear in that moment? Like, what are we doing?
1: I don't think of fear in regards to the industry itself, more of a personal feeler. Um, there was certainly a moment that I actually have not really spoke about too often until now that I kind of a future self podcast exclusive. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, so yeah, it was it was April and we kind of were really just starting to get going and, you know, we were putting this model together and I just got a little freaked out personally like, I'm not sure we can do this. You know, I just came off of grad school. Where am I going to get money to keep, you know, food in my belly? And, you know, all these, you know, things started piling in on me that I I really kind of you know, started to question it all. And I I was like, well, let's go home. I'll go home. You stay here and I'll do the roasting and we'll create a roaster. And my business partner was just like, wait a minute, slow down. You're just scared. Snap out of it. If you want to back out, it's not too late. But realize that you're just scared right now because of money or whatever it might be. And, you know, it, it, I was really thankful that he just put it in that way because it's exactly what it was. It was, you know, I started questioning, you know, the path we were going. And, you know, it took a good friend to to to, to make me realize what exactly was. It. it was just the fear in my own head of you know, I, I needed a safety net for myself and, you know, guess what? Safety nets are far gone. You know, some of the best I've advice I've gotten now is don't have a plan B don't ever look back. Don't, don't let that, because the the challenges are going to come whether it's the industry or your own personal needs that it's inevitable. And I'm certainly not out of the woods yet, but you know, it's, 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 that's what business is and that's why you get into it. So, you know, that was my moment of real fear in regardless of an industry standpoint, man, you, you hear all this stuff with the cartels and this and that and other <laughs> thing, like you're going to die for sure, Matt, what are you doing? <laughs> and man, they're just overwhelmingly nice and supportive and whether it be cooperatives or, you know, the importers we work with, uh, I mean, and obviously you go to a coffee farmer and you promise you're going to pay him a bunch more money you know it's an easy way to make friends for sure but um you know and even on this side of things here I'm um, I'm excited to learn about a lot of the business owners in the coffee industry here in Charlotte and uh, just over and over I hear again of how, what good work they're doing and how great of people they are and there's there's a commonality within the industry that at least in the specialty side of things which is only a small share of that market space that we exist in that um you know, people are really, really good. Now, it's the big guys that you could squash just like a bug and you never, you know, you're really really not on anybody's radar at all that, you know, a lot of these things go forward in regards to poverty and this not. But, you know, ultimately, it also comes back to the end consumer of how much you're willing to pay and, you know, the supply and demand, which the economics of it all gets really, really thick, really quick. But
0: uh, yeah, I'm sure it does. So how did you, you know, you're in Honduras and Peru, you're formulating this idea. What made you decide that you're going to land on the ground in Charlotte?
1: So that was actually one of the first things that ever happened before we had coffee farmers or a way to get coffee here. It was a Google search that landed us in Charlotte. Uh, I had a few ties, but, you know, so the way our model works is we use a private label roaster um, that we just found the guy that was the right guy for the job. Uh, He shares our mission and our values. That has been one of the biggest things that's led to our success is finding those people that, do share those values and, you know, not partnering up with people in it for just the money. And, you know, so we found him first. I'm from Ohio. My business partner is from Virginia. And I also have some family here that we kind of looked at the situation and said, let's just go for it. We've, we've never had a plan B on that either. You know, it just kind of worked out that way. And, uh, uh, yeah, loving it. Excited to be here.
0: To your, to your point about not having a plan B, you know, that keep kept coming up that is something i've struggled with as well is is going halfway in yeah and and having that backup plan well i'll just do this and, and it's really hard to commit to anything mm-hmm. when you're committing to nothing you yeah. know when you're committing to multiple things and and tony robbins has a quote that really resonated with me that's spot on he's like if you want to take the island you have to burn the fucking boats
1: <laughs> burn and, the boats yeah that goes even deeper
0: yeah I and, can't remember who
1: that was. I love that burn the Right. Pulse it's thing. a
0: it's a it's a general from somewhere. Some
1: I think he's like a viking or something
0: crazy. It's, yeah, it's something um and I've heard Tony Robbins say it and and that really struck me. Like don't that's that's the ultimate no plan B. It's it is drown or get your ass up there. Yeah. And, and that's a lot of motivation to actually. Get my make blood that
1: boiling happen. right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is that is absolutely that's one of the reasons that uh, that I do this podcast is is, is for that feeling. Mm-hmm. Is to in, help inspire people to stop living a life they don't like, Mm -hmm. to stop getting up and going to a job they hate, because we have literally been sold this idea that that is life. Mm -hmm. Life is getting up and going to a job you hate. You know, like I used to have, (laughs) I, I have someone in my family that when I was young would say, Life is nothing more than a shit sandwich and every day you're forced to take another bite and I'm like that's <laughs> fucking crazy. Yeah it is. And, and but that's the way he lived his life. It was just life is shit and that's the way it is and you just try to make the best of mm-hmm. it. And that just it didn't it didn't speak to me at all. It's not. You know, you look around the world and not everyone's living like that. There are people doing beautiful things and I I chose to believe that it wasn't just what I could see. It Mm -hmm. wasn't just the thing that they were putting on. They looked like they really were. And then, you know, you get older, you go into the world, you meet these people, and they are. Mm -hmm. They are out there doing things that they care about. They get up every day pumped. You know, some days suck for everyone, and that's life. But they're doing something they care about. The end goal, the mission is something that brings them joy. It is a purpose in their life that is bigger than money. It's bigger than a paycheck. And they're they're not the kind of people who look forward to Friday. Friday is just another day.
1: You're forcing me to reflect a bit here. And, you know, it's actually kind of bringing me back to when I came home from Honduras, it was hard. Like it was not that easy, of a transition to go from a, a life of, you know, every weekend, it was an adventure in the mountains and this and that, and you're working with kids all the time and, you know, feeling like you're doing really good stuff. And all of those everyday worries had just totally melted away. You know, and then you're forced right back into it, you know, just like that, you know, and you know, I think it got in my head a little bit that I you know decided back then, like, okay, I don't really ever want to care about money, which I don't know if that's always the best route either, you know, for better or for worse, you need to care in some sense, but you know when you when you change your way, you look at money and the value behind it, it really can change the way you start looking at everything and in the reality of what's possible for you, you know? So for me, I would never be able to do any of this if I still had values and, you know, the nicest pair of shoes or, uh, you know, a badass TV, whatever it is, I've had to get rid of everything. You know, I've just had to go in and just shut myself off from that and focus on really what makes me happy. And what makes me happy is connecting and sharing
0: and, you know, creating now, you know, right. I love that. It really speaks to me because we have, you know, I don't want to be one of those people who's like, oh, the culture, man, the corporations. <laughs> but but it's true. Yeah. The, the way that a lot of us live, we are creating prisons of our own design mm-hmm. by buying cars that leverage us, by buying homes that leverage us, by buying, 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 buying. And we getting ourselves into a position where we now can't do the things that might bring us real lasting joy because we are held down now. Certainly. And it, it that was hard for me because I certainly have a consumerist attitude. Yep. I do. I just you know I have to actively uh, reflect on my life and decide not to do that. And, and we've done that. But people find themselves in a position where they have all of this debt. They don't know how to get out of it. And and like you said, the answer to do that is to get rid of it. Yep. Is is to not Look at those things like they're going to bring you happiness because they won't. They never will. Certainly. They're, the research on that is is evident when you read it. When you buy a new car, even if it is a Maserati and that's what you've always wanted, if you don't have the money to afford that car, it's going to go one way. You're going to buy it. You're going to be super happy. You are. You are legitimately oh, yeah. going to be happier in your brain mm-hmm. for 30 days. Mm-hmm. And after 30 days, the happiness from having that car and purchasing and making it and acquiring it goes away. And now you have the car and it's part of your normal life. You, don't, you are no longer receiving genuine happiness mm-hmm. from having the car. And now you have to pay that bill. And now every month when you pay that bill, you have less money for the things in your life. You have less money to travel if you like to travel. You have less money to go to nice restaurants and eat good food if that's what you like to do. So now not only are you not happy because of that car, you start to resent that car and the way it is holding you down in your life. Mm-hmm. And then w- instead of coming to that realization, we look for that next hit of dopamine yep. in buying the next thing because we we do, we get happy and we buy the next thing and then we're happy and then it falls off and it turns into this rat race that just buries us. Instead of taking that approach of stepping back, mm-hmm. get a smaller house, get a smaller car, do the things, acquire the skills, acquire the experiences that over the course of your life, when you look back at your life, how many people are ever going to say, really glad I bought that car that was too expensive. (laughs) No, they're going to say, I'm really glad I went to Peru and met those people (sighs) and learned that language and had these experiences that led to new experiences. Like just talking about that shit gives me chills.
1: No doubt. Have you ever heard of the movie Hector and the Search for Happiness? I have not. Oh, you got to watch it. It's really funny. I'm Um, I'm going
0: to watch that. And I'm also going to link it on the blog and the show notes. It's a
1: British film. Uh, and it's basically about this psychologist that is very unfulfilled by working with these people that just spill their problems out to him all day. And he is very, you know, stay in line, always do what you're told kind of guy. And uh, all of a sudden he just silently said, fuck it, I'm going to travel the world. And so he goes on all these crazy adventures all over the place. And, um, you know, the movie kind of comes to an end in, in in this classroom with this professor where the professor's going on and, and you got to look it up. I, I can give you the uh, YouTube clip. It's like a minute and a half. Oh, I'm
0: watching the movie.
1: Well, you should. But this one specific point you can put in the show notes of, um, you know, this professor starts going on. He's like, you know, we're, we're so caught up in the pursuit of happiness, right? You know, you're, you're looking for what's going to make you happy. And when in reality... It's when we stop pursuing it that we find it. It's when you're singing, you're dancing, you're laughing, when you're fully engaged with what you're doing. It's not the pursuit of happiness, but the happiness of pursuit. And that just stuck with me in a real way. You know what I mean? Like that was, that was something that I... You know, try to remember
0: for sure. Yeah, I love that. And, and I'll kick back to episode 32. I had Dimitri Apostle on here, and he's a really interesting guy. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to that episode. But he said something that really stuck with me. He said, I'm not trying to buy happiness, I'm trying to live happiness. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you you bringing that right back up uh, it really just drills it in for me. I, I love that approach because you can't buy happiness. Never. It, it's never going to happen. You're going to get those little micro hits of dopamine, you're going to yep. feel good. But you're going to constantly have to chase them instead of building an actual foundation. Exactly. Uh, there was another movie that what you just said kind of reminded me of. Is it, is it Walter Mitty? It's the secret it's, life so,
1: of Walter Mitty. I haven't seen that one, but it sounds. He kind of just gets
0: to a point in his life where he's like, screw all of this. <laughs> and, and he's a person who doesn't do anything outside the norm. It's yeah. wild at all. It's been a long time since I've seen it. But he ends up going like on these crazy adventures, yep. and like climbing a mountain, mm-hmm. and 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 it opens his life in ways that he never understood. Yeah, you know, and, and it sounds kind of trite, but it's not.
1: Well, I can relate to that a little bit, and it was you know even my own personal health struggles that kind of I think propelled me to this point I'm at now. That really were, um, you know, interesting. In Away I mentioned before, I was living in Florida, and I was actually doing personal training, um, uh, specifically working with. Um, health and aging more than anything. And, uh, I actually ended up just one day out of the blue getting sick in in a really weird way. And my, my hands and my feet were extremely swollen about two or three times the size. And, you know, essentially I went to the doctor, he gave me some prednisone, you know, steroid and it went away. And then in about six days, it came back twice as bad. And so, okay, I'm not now what's going on here? And, um, I ended up going to six doctors over the course of the year. And without getting into the specifics of it all, it just really didn't make any sense. And they were trying to put me on a chemotherapy drug, which just did not sit right with me as as, as bad as my mother might have wanted me to do so. I love you, mom. But um, I just wasn't going to do it. It just didn't feel right like that was what was going to fix me, right? So I, I was so frustrated with, you know, the the education I had and, you know, how how much bad information was out there that I decided to go back and pursue this master's of public health. And I tell you what, you can really get in your own head in that sense in regards to health of, oh, is it the gluten that's doing it? Or is it the dairy? Or am I eating at the wrong time of day? You can you can drive yourself insane trying to figure these things out. And it really kind of led me to a more philosophical approach of how I wanted my my life. And, you know, it's basically behind that idea that, you know, to give is truly the most selfish thing you can do because by giving, you know, it's coming back to you. You know what I mean? So now I really try to focus on what I can do for others and what I can create that benefits everybody without thinking of myself first. And, you know, that was, you know, something that I started to try to put into practice while I was in grad school, I started doing big brothers, big sisters, and man, I loved it it was just so cool to um, have had a mentor of my own and then step into that role myself and to see how impactful it was for him, but even even more so for me, which it, w- it was really, really cool. And, you know, it, if it wasn't for my own health struggles and really going through a lot of pain and a lot of nights that I couldn't sleep because both my arms were numb and, you know, even some fear of like, you know, what is this long-term going to mean for me? So I actually asked myself a question of, you know, What if you only had 10 years to live? What would you do with your life if I told you today you have 10 years? Would you change it? Most people probably would. And I remember sitting there just writing in my journal, just I think I was listening to a podcast and I don't know where this crazy idea came from, but I just sat there and I sat on that. And, you know, I think that's really the moment when the wheel started to churn of, you know, what could I really do that is special, something that could really really set me on fire and you know that's and now we're here sitting here talking with you so and i
0: love that i want to unpack that a little bit because you said so many things that really speak to me the first is about service we talked about it earlier it, get out love the people around you and serve them mm-hmm. that is where happiness comes from that is where success comes from yep. from sending your uh, you know your unique abilities into the universe and helping other people with your unique abilities because I'm a big believer too. It, it when you send it out there, it does come back. Yep. we are not. It's not finite. It's not that we are giving away something of ourselves. We are creating more by giving, and I'm a firm believer in that. Uh, but also, one of the things you said really stuck with me as well is is you were listening to a podcast and you don't know where this idea came from. It just kind of hits you, and, and and I feel like I do. Because I, I listen uh, to uh, to a man named Tom Billu. He has a podcast called Impact Theory, and he said something. In the very beginning, when I first discovered him, he said ideas in equals ideas out. Mm-hmm. And he said he has a sign above his door in his office that says that. And this is a guy who's a billionaire. Like he he's one of the co-founders of Quest Nutrition. Okay. Oh, cool. and, and now he's gone on to, to create his own show that's about personal development. He's building a movie studio. Uh, he's an awesome human being who's going who has already changed the world in meaningful ways, but he's going to do it on a level that none of us even understand. Yep. Uh, he, he's a phenomenal human, but that sticks with me. Ideas in equals ideas out because that is so true. When we are in taking the ideas of others, it gets our creativity moving. And that is why I'm always listening to podcasts, reading books, consuming some type of content from someone who is a hell of a lot more brilliant than me. Yeah. Because those ideas, without those ideas, I'm not here. I'm not doing this because I am constantly inundated with my own ideas when I'm consuming ideas of other people. That's, mm-hmm. that's when I do my best thinking is, is I'll, I'll hit pause and I'll stop and I'll start writing. And then I'll come out with this amazing idea that was just kind of a spin-off. Of So many other ideas I'd had, and it came to fruition in that moment. Yeah. And then every week I sit down and I look at my ideas and I bring them together, and some of them, oh, maybe that wasn't a great idea, I put it <laughs> on the back burner. But that's not the important part. The important part is getting them out of your head. Stop, mm-hmm. write them down. But get the ideas in first, because people say, oh, I have writer's block, I don't know what I'm doing, and things like that. And you know, that is a creative problem, but at the same time, stop trying to create. Go out there and and be in the world. Maybe listen to someone, talk to someone, get other people's ideas in your head. Because I am a firm believer in that, in finding inspiration in other people and experiences. So before I let you get out of here, I don't want to keep you all day because I will. <laughs> uh, you were talking to me earlier about the stories of these farmers who are already seeing a dramatic impact in their lives through the relationship that you form with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, tell me a little bit about some of those uh, some of those stories and those farmers that you're working with. Yeah, it's funny everything you say because I remember this idea
1: actually coming from a TED Talk. I'll have to look up her name, but it was about a vulnerability and basically... It's got to
0: be Brene Brown. Probably. I love her.
1: I think so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she writes and, a lot of books. And so that was the one that actually inspired me of like this whole storytelling idea and just knowing from a public health standpoint of statistics don't move people, stories do. So... Uh, my business partner, I believe is the one that came up with the story of coffee begins with the people behind it. And, you know, we didn't know what that meant at the time. Uh, so the first thing we did was basically went to these farmers and we asked them what they needed. Um, you know, we didn't want something that was going to be, you know, that hand me out type thing. We wanted it to be, you know, an uplifting thing. Right. And, and there was two things that were so overwhelmingly, clear that we needed to do. And number one was that it's just not enough. You know, they they make very little, anywhere from two to three thousand dollars a year for a family of four or five people. And, you know, obviously the economics of where they live is different than here. But you know, that, that means a lack of access to food, healthcare, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, time and time again, they just kept telling us we need a better job and go tell our story. You know, they wanted visibility. They wanted to feel like they're, they mattered. Like they weren't just forgotten about out here, which, you know, for 25 million people in an industry where most people never think twice about where that cup of coffee's coming from, uh, this is the reality. And the truth is most of them are extremely proud. So, you know, that's kind of where we based, uh, you know, our thought process in creating this. And so what we do specifically is we work to connect you the coffee drinker to the person that grows your coffee. As you can see, I got a bag right here, uh, which is Rosa's coffee. She's a coffee farmer from Peru and we haven't even told her story. We probably need to do that. Um, you know, so she's a coffee farmer from Peru, uh, which is really an awesome story of perseverance. Uh, she is a widow. Her husband passed away about five years ago. Her 21 year old son, Alberto is the head of their farm, another 19 year old and a four year old. And it's just the four of them. Uh, the two oldest boys are studying in university, yet they don't have electricity on their farm. You know, so to 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 have two boys in university is not the norm whatsoever and uh, really an awesome, awesome thing. So, you know, when we had the chance to meet her and partner up, uh, we were so excited to do so because, you know, it was clear that, you know, I think this could work. I think this could be be really, really good. So uh, we also pay this 50 percent bonus strategically Uh, we do it six months after the point of sale. And the reason being is they only get one payment throughout the entire year. So not only is it a very low payment, but it's once. And I could not budget that to save my life if you gave me all my money in one year. Um, you know, so it it also helps to stretch your income by paying six months after the fact. So, uh, my business partner, Robert is actually there right now as we speak. He's, uh, this week met with two and today and tomorrow meeting with a third farmer and paying these bonus. And man, we just have some amazing updates to share. So,
0: yeah. And you were showing me on your social media, where can the listeners go to keep up with these stories?
1: Uh, well, you can check out our website, FarmersFirstCoffee.com. We would obviously love for you to try it. Um, it's really, really good coffee. And uh, check us out on Instagram, farmersfirstcoffee, First Coffee. And on Facebook, it's farmersfirstcoffeeco. First Coffee Co. And, uh, yeah, definitely give us a follow. Uh, check it out. Uh, and uh, we really try to tell those stories through the Instagram. I uh, brought a professional photographer with us from Honduras, actually and uh, really captured it. And that was another thing we did. We sat down with them and did this in-depth questionnaire of like 60 questions and 15 of them or so were coffee specifics. How many hectares of farm do you land? What varieties do you have? Uh, But then we really dug into what are your biggest fears? Uh, You know, what are you most proud of? Who's your hero? And it was so cool to see, you know, the script that we basically were able to create in this, you know, real story, but even more importantly, real relationship we now have. And, you know, I think it was interesting when we came in the first time and, you know, they're like, okay, who are these gringos and what do they want? And I think they're kind of used to people showing up with big promises and then never showing up again. We came back a month later with a photographer and basically said, this is what we want to do. Would you like to partner with us? And, you know, the tone changed. And now, you know, for us this week to be back a third time in I think six months, uh, it's pretty cool. So this was an update with Rose's family. Um my business partner said, it's hard to put into words how amazing it felt to see Rosa's face light up when she saw her own face on a bag of coffee. And then when I proceeded to pay them a 50% bonus of their market price value, that was great too. I was given a full tour of their farm and was walked through everything they planned to do with the farmer's first bonus payment this year. Plant one more hectare, which is two and a half acres of coffee on overgrown land so they can produce more coffee and boost their income build a dignified bathroom as they're currently only using a latrine in the woods. They want to install a solar dryer, which is essentially a hanger like greenhouse that allows coffee to dry protected from the rain that will also increase the taste and quality and even further their income. Um, in, an, in a video interview, I asked why they hadn't already done these three things before having partnered with Farmers First. They replied, we just didn't have enough money and the interest rate from the bank's charge loan of 20 to 30 percent for coffee farmers like us is just too high and then a nice uh thank you to everyone that has supported us which i would have obviously love to uh, pass along as well so to see that happen right now like boom we we met you six months ago and here we are and you're planning to do all these great things it's you know it's early evidence of okay you know we're doing this and and it's dramatic as we wanted it to be and it's as impactful as we want it to be and it's you know let's go get as many as we can now you know we we've started with three here our third farmer uh will actually arrive and a couple weeks. So we'll have three available on the website. Uh, but we have a long-term goal of 500 one day, you wow, know, because it, w- it, it would be hard. <laughs> it's going to be a long time and a lot of challenges of, you know, business and entrepreneurship, but
0: if it was easy. Everyone would do it, right? Yeah.
1: You got to make it worth it, you know? And you know, how do you, how do you change something? How do you change the world? Well, you
0: change one person's world one step at a time and then
1: you go get another one. Right. And another one. Same so,
0: thing. Uh, you know, it's, it's a question that comes up a lot is like, how could I ever do something like that? One step at a time. Yeah, same. Like one of my mentors told me, he said, "You know, same way you eat an elephant. Yeah, one bite at a time." Well, and that's
1: where this whole new challenge comes into play. I just moved to Charlotte two months ago, and now you know our model basically exists to do a wholesale distribution of you know let's get rid of this volume and go get more farmers and come back to the same farmers year after year. Right. That you know, essentially, I am just going all over the place and I have no idea where I'm even at just knocking on doors, not having any real connections in this community quite yet, but showing up every day, man, it's, 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 it's a smaller community than you would think, you know? So,
0: you know, it's big, small town. Yeah. No doubt about yeah, it. Right on, man. Yeah. All right, for listeners of the Future Self podcast, Matt is offering 10% off of a bag of Farmer's First Coffee. If you go to FarmersFirstCoffee.com and use the promo code FUTURESELF, and that is going to get you some of the best coffee I have ever tasted. Matt came into the studio before we started recording, and while we're recording, we have been sipping on it, and I usually take my coffee with cream and sugar. But I did not want to uh, you know slight the man bringing the good coffee and so I drank it black like I never do and it was delightful. Just the the full flavor of it. And I'm not I'm not blowing smoke here because if it was bad, I would just not say anything about it because, (laughs) you know, my listeners, I know you trust me. And if you buy this coffee and it's not good, then you're not going to trust me. So trust me, it is very, very good coffee. So use that promo code future self when you check out for 10 percent off of a bag of farmers first coffee. Well, Matt, I cannot tell you how much I appreciated you being here. It was a lot of fun, and uh, I certainly look forward to keeping up with this story as it develops and uh, having you back.
1: Definitely. I'd love to do so. I can't thank you enough to uh, just have the platform to share it, and, uh, you know, this is awesome. You're doing awesome stuff, man. Keep it up. All right, right on, buddy. Thank you.
0: What a story Matt has. I love his spirit. He didn't wait for life to come to him, He went to it. I encourage you to take a page out of Matt's book. If you're not happy with the life you're living, it is time to start doing something about it today. Now, I'm not saying quit your job and move to Honduras tomorrow, although that does sound badass, but what I am saying is start doing something, anything, today that is going to move you in the direction of fulfilling your purpose on this planet. When your last days are upon you, I want you to be able to say with conviction, I made a fucking difference. Get after it. Now, if you enjoyed this episode with Matt as much as I did, you will have my undying gratitude and appreciation. If you take a quick moment right now to hit that subscribe button on this show, not only are you going to bring so much joy to my heart, you're going to get notified when sweet new episodes of the Future Self Podcast roll out. And do we ever have some sweet ones in store for you? Over the next few weeks, we'll be sitting down in the punch room at the Ritz-Carlton with none other than Bob Peters. We will also have District 37's own Senator Jeff Jackson on the show. All right, before I let you go, one quick reminder about the comprehensive podcasting course at Advent Coworking from idea to iTunes, and you're going to get all that delicious podcasting goodness served up in person by yours truly. Whether you already have an idea or you need some help nailing one down, in just four short weeks, I'm going to help you take that idea and launch it on iTunes. So if you're ready to press play on your own podcast, head on over to yourpod.pro to sign up for details. That's yourpod.pro. All right, listeners, I know that your time is your most valuable asset, so I thank you once again again for spending just a little bit of that time with me today. Now until next week, get out there and get after it.